for having me. I am so blessed to be with you all this morning. As Jeff said, I started on staff about a year ago, but before coming to Daybreak in West Michigan, me and my husband are from Cherryville, Pennsylvania. Now, that is a very small town in the Northeast, and it only consists of a few things. We got a post office, a church, a gas station, and a pizza joint. That may change ownership every year, but if you're from a small town, you know what I'm talking about. I grew up there, and it was a beautiful place to grow up, but I realized I needed to grow, so I needed to get away for a little bit. So I decided to go to a small town in Indiana, and I went to school at Indiana Wesleyan University where I studied ministry, and then I went back to my hometown, and I served at my home church uh, for a pastoral residency. Now, those go for about two years, but I ended up going full-time being there for five, and it was an incredible time. I met my husband, Josh, there, and Josh is also a pastor, that's why you you don't see him here on a Sunday, but he cheers me on in spirit, and I do for him too. So we love doing ministry, and it is our calling. But when I entered the wor- workforce, as some of you may be able to relate, I felt some insecurities. And I realized that I was putting my worth into getting approval from others instead of being secure enough in myself that I didn't need approval from others. What I needed to know was I was doing what God has asked of me. And I realized that a lot of the young adults around me felt the same way. Not just young adults, all of us can have insecurities that push unhealthy work ethics. And I realized that that was happening to me. So I felt called to write the book that you just saw called Bad Reviews, which helps the reader cope with rejection in a godly way. So I, yes, I launched the book and got a puppy within the same week. So it was a good week for me. But I'm going to teach from my book, Bad Reviews. And the, ba- the Bad Reviews book verse comes from Galatians 1.10 that says, For am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do I have any people pleasers in the room? Maybe you don't want to. Yeah, okay. I, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. I'm no longer that way, but I used to be. And this has been a problem for quite some time, as you can see from our verse. People have been tempted to please God rather, or please people rather than please God for a long time. When Paul was writing this verse, he was under severe persecution. He was speaking out against a rule-based religion and speaking for the love of Jesus. And many people hated him for that, and he was in prison while writing this verse. But Paul knew something. He knew that his purpose in life was not to be liked, but to be a servant of Christ. And we can do a lot of things when we want to be liked. And I know that having a good reputation, integrity, constructive criticism, those are all necessities in our walk with God. But what's not a necessity is striving to please people. So this morning, I want to shift focus from seeking validation from others, social media, bank account balance, job status, because as we know, all of that can be taken away in an instant. But focus seeking validation from God, who is our constant, and who will never abandon us or leave us. So today, I'm going to focus on the first half, chapter 14, which is you're not doing enough. Now, this is something I tell myself, something social media has told me, the people around me, we need to do more, 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 keep adding to your plate, more. But we need to remember that it's not how much we do, it's who we do it for. 
When I was in my senior year of college, my roommate and I were helping disciple a group of teens. Now, these teens would actually come to IWU early around 6 a.m. to study the word. So these were serious teens. So me and my roommate were helping disciple them, and it was our last day. So the leader asked, hey, can all of the college seniors share what they're doing after school? So around the circle it went, and I heard plans to start a ministry from the ground up, plant a church in a hurting neighborhood, travel the world as a missionary, and then it was my turn to share. And I felt insecurity because, as you know, I went back to my hometown to do a pastoral residency in my home church. And it just didn't sound impressive, like all of their plans. Now, I felt pressured to do something more, but that's not what God was calling me to do. Because I felt such peace and excitement about my plans. It wasn't until I started to compare myself to others that that insecurity grew. And I started to doubt, am I doing enough? Should I be doing something more, more flashy? Is this good enough? And I was doubting what God could do. And once I realized that it is never a mistake to serve God anywhere, it is a blessing to be able to serve him no matter where you are or what you are doing, then I could be content with my plans. And in the Bible, there is a woman named Hannah. And Hannah went through a very long state of feeling like she was not doing enough. Hannah wanted to have children, and in this time period, women found their main value in having kids. If they could not have kids, they did not have worth in this society. This is how women found their worth. But she had a problem because Hannah could not conceive. And scripture says that the Lord actually closed her womb. Now, I struggled with that a lot because I thought, why would God do such a thing? But if we dive deeper, the text actually tells us that God did not prevent her from having kids. He allowed her not to have kids like he allowed sin to enter the world. Now, back in this time period, there wasn't a ton of knowledge on Satan. So people would have thought Hannah was cursed by God rather than realizing it is through the sin that entered through the garden that she cannot have kids. It was nothing Hannah did or didn't do. But it didn't matter because that's the way that society would view her. She was going to be looked at as a woman who was cursed by God. But God teaches us through Hannah's story that your purpose is not what you can do for others or how you can feel complete by what you do. It teaches us that Hannah still had purpose despite her not being able to have kids. She was still a beloved child of God, no matter what the world said about her or the pressure that she put on herself. And she put a lot of pressure on herself. Scripture says that Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Now, Panina was Elkanah's other wife. Elkanah was the husband of Hannah. Back in this time period, men had multiple wives, and surprise, they didn't always get along. But Panina was more than that. She actually taunted Hannah. She provoked her for not being able to have children. Now, we can learn something from Panina because she did this because of her own insecurities. See, Elkanah favored Hannah, and we know this because when Hannah was so upset about not being able to have kids, Elkanah said, you're enough for me just as you are. Aren't I enough for you? Why should you want kids? Aren't I good enough? You're good enough for me. Like I said, that's a big deal because husbands typically did not love their wives in that way in this time period. So we know that Elkanah truly loved Hannah, and that probably really got to Penina. But 
We don't have to be like that. In fact, when our friends are struggling, we are called to carry that burden alongside of them, not add to it with more insecurity. And that goes both ways. If you're hanging out with somebody and you feel more tired, more insecure, more beaten down, it may be time to set a boundary, and that is okay. If you are feeling convicted and your friend is calling you out in love, that's okay, but it's not okay to feel mistreated or shamed or belittled because Penina was not empowering Hannah. She was tearing her down. And as I said, Elkanah tried his best to comfort her, but it was not enough. Hannah was so deeply depressed, she went into the temple. She prayed and she wept bitterly so much that the prophet Eli thought that she was drunk. And he, she said to him in 1 Samuel 1, 15 through 18, Oh no, sir, she replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Thank you, sir, she explained. Then she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. So let's take a pause here. Let's look over all that Hannah had to go through. She deeply wanted to have kids, but she could not conceive. She had no meaning in that culture. Her husband's other wife severely made fun of her for it and added to her pain. And she was so broken she could not even eat. When she felt like she wasn't doing enough, and society sure told her she wasn't, she went into the temple. That is when things started to change. She didn't go to the tavern. She didn't go to her friends, her family. Nothing worked anymore. She went to God to pray and pour out her heart to him because he's going to give her something that nobody else could. He would later give her a baby boy and kids after that, but he would give her something else, and that was her true purpose. Because years later, Hannah would end up having that son. But giving Samuel back to the Lord in the temple to be raised to serve God. And doing so that the gift that she received, that she thought she needed to be worthy of anything, was never hers. It was always God's. And when we recognize that our gifts are not ours... But God's, we don't feel the weight of false responsibility to do more and more. God is not calling you to burn out. He is not calling you to put your mental health on the sidelines. He is not calling you to put your family on the back burner. If you are neglecting your mental health, your family, in the name of Jesus, that is not in Jesus' name. That will be in yours. Because God will never call you to do that. Because in order to spiritually lead, we need to be leading ourselves first. And then our families. Remember, we are building God's kingdom, not our own. And God says, it's not what you can do for me. It's how you can be with me. It needs to start there. In order to do things for God, we need to first be with God. That is where our lives take off. And it is great to have goals and dreams and pray to be used by God. I think we should. I think that's our calling. But if we force it due to our own need for vindication, maybe to impress other people, we're actually missing God's better plan for us. And I want to ask you, just it's always good to check ourselves. I check myself all the time. What if you do something that's incredible, but nobody sees it? 
Not one person saw it. Do you feel the need to tell everybody? Do you want others to give you that applause? It's hard not to. We live in a society where we need that validation all the time. But we can't force it. Because Hannah didn't have a baby for Patina. She didn't have a baby for society. And we know this. Because if Hannah had a baby for those around her, she would have held that baby close to her chest and she would have said, look, I finally have what you said I could never have. I finally did it. You guys said I was cursed. You said I was worthless. I finally have it. See, this is mine. But she didn't. She was able to release that baby back to God, to be used by God. And that baby had a calling. That baby would be the last judge of Israel and the first prophet after Moses. But it wouldn't have been able to live out that calling if Hannah wouldn't have released him back to God. Your gift has a calling, a powerful calling that can do incredible things for the kingdom. But it's not going to thrive if you use it for your will and not God's. God reminds us we are to be obedient, not impressive. And it can be easy to get caught up in the limelight of it all, but release your gift to be used by God because it's not how many people see you or hear you. It's about you deciding to be used by him. Because if you're constantly doing things for the validation of others, you will center your life around others. But if you do things for God, you will center your life around God. There was a quote that says, if you live for the compliment, you will die by the criticism. And that is true. If you are putting your worth in the approval of those around you, you will die by their criticism. And the criticism will come by people you may have thought would support you. People change their minds. God does not. God is our constant. We cannot belittle what you're doing or what God is doing through you because you're comparing yourself to what he's called others to do. When you look back, you'll see that the gifts were never ours for the holding. And you can rest easy knowing that you don't need to impress anybody when you're following God's plan for your life and you have that peace. That peace that makes no sense, like the song said, because you're living for God. The chapter verse comes from Psalm 57, 2, which says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. King David wrote that. Now, King David was appointed by Samuel, Hannah's son. David is singing a psalm of trust that God has his best intentions. And we can be tempted to take control when we want to impress others with what we do. But David reminds us that we should be willing to wait for God to act. Once we understand that the work we do is not for us, but it was always for God's purpose, then we can feel like we're doing enough. No matter the size of the audience or the outcome of the accomplishment. Now, another thing that can happen when we get caught up in needing an audience to want to do things for God is thinking that we need a big audience in order to influence. That's the 15th chapter of my book. It's called How to Become an Influencer. Now, I put this as a bad review because 
I, in my generation, see a ton of videos on influencers, how to become one nonstop. And it sounds really great, and it is great. You get free stuff, you get paid a ton of money, you have this amazing audience, but it's not a new concept. Because being an influencer has been around since the beginning of time. Before social media, it was the face on the cereal box, the billboard, the actor, the celebrity, the politician, and they're still around. And it, I believe it's written in all of our hearts to want to influence. And it's an incredible thing when we do it for God. But there's a mistake that we make that we think we need to act on a global scale in order to mean anything. And we can kind of chalk it off to the next person. You don't need to have your face on a billboard to influence. You don't need to have 50,000 followers, speak in front of thousands of people. You cannot stumble into the mindset that your influence doesn't matter. Because if the enemy can get you to believe that your influence doesn't matter, he's already a step ahead. If he can get you to believe that you don't stand a chance anyway against this world, he's already a step ahead. And we can get easily overwhelmed by this world. I know we can. I do all the time. I just think, what's the point? What could I really do? But we can't chalk the influence off to somebody else. We can say, I wasn't equipped for that. I wasn't made for that. I don't like people. I just want to be tucked away, unplugged, off the grid. And that's great to do for a weekend. Okay, we all need it. But we cannot stay tucked away. Because if you were made by God, then you were made to influence. And the Great Commission calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. That cannot be done in isolation. I know that it's tempting and it's overwhelming. But you are a massive influence to those who come into your life. And if you don't believe me, think back to a time you encountered someone who was rude to you. Hopefully it wasn't in the church parking lot this morning. But you can think about that. And think about how you can still get mad about it. Maybe you think, I should have responded like this. I should have said that. That's what I should have done. That person still has influence over you. You're still letting them impact your emotions. We all have influence over each other. I remember I went to the grocery store the one time back at home, and the employee was super rude to me. I stopped going to the grocery store because I didn't want to see her. So she had influence over me. All of us have influence over each other, whether we want to recognize it or not. And our chapter verse comes from Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, one man can sharpen another. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, Paul's referring to the Corinthian people who'd become indifferent in their environment. They allowed others to influence them. They weren't doing something necessarily bad at first, but they were being influenced poorly. Apathy is one of the most dangerous things to the Christian walk. And the Corinthian people were becoming apathetic to who and what was around them. And Paul was warning against this. In the book of Judges, we learn about a man named Samson. Now, Samson had become indifferent to his influences as well. Samson was given extreme strength from God. He had so much strength, he was able to defeat a thousand men by himself. God gave him the strength to defeat the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. But he had a couple of rules he had to follow in order to keep the superhuman strength. He could not eat unclean food, and he could never cut his hair. Well, Samson decided to start hanging out with the Philistines. He became friends with them. He ate dinner with them. 
and he fell in love with one of them. Her name was Delilah. She was secretly working for the Philistine army. And she eventually got him to tell her his secret, that he would lose his strength if his hair was cut. Well, with that, the enemy cut his hair. He lost his strength. They gouged out his eyes. They captured him, and they tied him to the city. And now, I want to say in the end, God gave him one more push for strength. In Judges 16, 28 through 30, Scripture says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more than he did when he lived. That story did not have to end with Samson losing his strength or his life if he would have surrounded himself with godly people. He might have known Delilah was a huge mistake, but he surrounded himself with the wrong people. His judgment became cloudy. It became apathetic. And we can learn from his story and ask ourselves, are the people influencing us, loving, Christ-like, wise? Are we that way to the people we encounter? Our influence matters. And it matters so much. It matters way more than anyone you're going to see online because you're the one that they call when they're heartbroken at 2 a.m. You're the one who's going to invite them to church. You're the one they can do a growth group with. You're the one they're going to call when their marriage is struggling. Your influence matters more than you could ever imagine. And I know we may not be able to see it in this life, but we will see the kingdom impact that our life had in the next. God has purposely purposely place people in your life for a reason. We were meant to live in a community of people like this, but Samson chose the wrong community. You can have non-Christian friends. I think we should. I mean, how else are they going to know Jesus? If the people who know Jesus don't talk to them, but we do need to know our own boundaries and we need to establish limitations on what we can handle. We don't want to lose the strength, the gifts, the talents, that God has given us like Samson did. We need to take it as a cautionary tale for those who influence you and how you are influencing others. Now, I know I like to talk a lot about purpose and where your purpose lies, how Hannah's purpose lied in being with God and your purpose lies in being with God, not what you accomplish, not what you do. It needs to start with God. Because this world is going to tell you a lot of lies about where your purpose lies. But with God, and only with God, will you be enough. Will you be complete? And I believe if we know that, then we stand a chance. Now, I know September is a crazy time of year. It's the start of pumpkin spice. It's the start of school going back. It's the last bit of summer. People are squeezing in. Okay, I'm squeezing the last bit of summer. I never want it to end, but I know it's coming. But September is also the start of Suicide Prevention Month. And I don't know if you knew that, but this is an issue very close to my heart because a couple of years ago, 
I got a call that my cousin had um, taken his own life in front of his mom. And I know that that is very heavy, and I know that that's dark, but it's real, and it's something that happened to my family, and it may be something that happened to yours. And I want you to know that Daybreak is a place that if you feel vulnerable or if you are hurting, we will get you connected to the right people and get you the help that you need. A broken mind does not mean a broken relationship with God. It does not mean a broken soul or a broken spirit. Now, my cousin David, he believed that his life no longer had meaning because he could not be a functioning part of society. He believed his life had no worth, probably similar to what Hannah felt. He believed his life had no influence, maybe what Samson thought. Because if you doubt your influence in the lives of others, you are going to doubt their influence in yours. At my cousin's funeral, my dad gave the eulogy, and he talked about purpose. And he said, David's life was a life of purpose. He taught us things, he was smart, he made us laugh, he was made in God's image. He had influence over us in life, and he has influence over us in death. I just wish he would have known the impact that his life had and how much he mattered, despite what society would tell him. When we were cleaning up his room, I found a Bible next to his bed, and it was bookmarked to Psalm 20. So I'm going to leave you with the words of King David and then pray us out. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May he shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Let's pray. Dear God, as we go throughout our day, let us be reminded that we matter to those around us. We pray to be a godly influence on the people you have placed in our lives. We want to live for you. Help us to be wise, patient, and empathetic to everyone we encounter. We pray to be confident in you and deepen our relationship with you and know that when we do things for you, that is enough. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.